Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you today. We've had a a good weekend together of uh, thinking through revitalization. Uh, I work with uh, a ministry called the Go Center. Uh, We take our name from the Great Commission, Go and Make Disciples. So we're all about working with church leaders to revitalize churches uh, by centering ministry on the Great Commission of uh, going in the authority of Jesus Christ to, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach people how to live a life of obedience to Christ. And so uh, we've had an opportunity to, to work on that this weekend, and it's my pleasure to be uh, addressing you today. Um, I'm going to be uh, covering the second reading as part of my message this morning, so we'll uh, we'll work our way to that over the next few moments. Um, now, I want to begin today with a benediction, which is perhaps a little bit different because, you know, the benediction typically comes at the end, right? Uh, but we're going to start with a benediction today. Now, the word benediction comes from two Latin words, the word bene, meaning good, and word dicio, which means a, a saying or a word. So a benediction is a good word, a good saying. And the way it's been used uh, historically in the, in the liturgy of the church is that it's a, it's a way of invoking the blessing of God upon his people, asking God to give us a good word, to speak over us uh, a, a good saying, a good word, a word that will strengthen and empower. Now, we know that the word of God is very powerful. Uh, we have the written word of God, of course. Jesus Christ is referred to as the living word. And we know from the very first few verses of the Bible that when God speaks, things happen. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Okay, the word of God is very powerful. And so a a benediction, a a blessing from God, like the blessing, the blessing to Abraham, the blessing that Aaron delivered, the blessing that we uh, always share at the end of a worship service. These are very powerful sayings that come from the heart of God himself. Well, uh, Perhaps the best known benediction uh, throughout the church today is that benediction that was read as part of the first reading from Numbers, where Moses was instructed by God to tell his brother Aaron how to pronounce a blessing upon the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I'm sure if you've been around the church any length of time, you have heard this blessing many, many times. And so we're going to start with a benediction. However, we're not going to go with the benediction of Aaron. We're going to go someplace else. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews and uh, use the benediction that is pronounced at the end of that book. Now, I I think of that particular benediction as my favorite. Um, I'm not sure that it's appropriate to have favorites. I mean, they're all God's word, right? So they all have value. But I particularly appreciate 
this blessing because it covers so much ground. There's so much, so much beef to it. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. When folks are teaching from Hebrews, very often you'll hear them say something such as, well, the writer of the Hebrews says such and such. Well, we don't know who the writer is, the human writer. We know who the divine writer is. That's God himself. So we're very, very confident in this book of Hebrews. We just don't know who wrote it. Now, in my English Standard Version Study Bible, there's a section at the beginning that introduces the the book of Hebrews. And it talks about this uh, writer of the book of Hebrews creating a tantalizing mystery because he doesn't identify himself in the book, as is the case with the other letters that we find in the New Testament. So we're entering into the world of tantalizing mystery this morning, and I hope you uh, you appreciate that. Well, how did this mysterious writer call upon the blessing of God? So I'm going to turn to our second reading, which is found in the book of Hebrews, Chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, my title for this morning is this, Equipped for Everything Good. And you may recognize that this is a phrase that is embedded toward the center of this particular benediction. Now, all total, there are nine phrases contained in this benediction. And the way that we're going to... uh, Uh, proceed this morning is I'm going to walk you through all nine of these phrases. Now, that might sound a little intimidating, but, you know, let me uh, invite you not to panic. I'm not going to spend lots and lots and lots of time on all nine. We're going to sort of feature some over others, but I want you to get a sense of all that's contained in these two verses. Uh, and so we're going to start with phrase number one. Uh, the benediction opens with the phrase, Now may the God of peace, the God of peace. Well, peace is something that is referred to many, many times throughout Scripture. And it harkens back to that very popular uh, blessing from Aaron. Where he says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and do what? Give you peace. Well, the peace of God is a very special kind of peace. In the Old Testament, where we uh, look at the book of Numbers, um, this was written originally in the Hebrew language. And so the word for peace is the word shalom, 
Perhaps you're familiar with this word. Well, the concept of shalom in the Hebrew mindset, the Hebrew culture, was much bigger than our American concept of the simple word peace. It had to do with a a sense of well-being, a holistic well-being that was very broad, very deep. It had to do with complete prosperity, with complete reconciliation with God. To pronounce shalom upon someone was a very beneficial thing. You see, there's a word beneficial that comes from the same root as the word benediction. Okay? Something that was good for people. Shalom is a, is a well wish that's placed upon people. Now in the New Testament, we also find the word peace many, many times. You might recall that the Apostle Paul all often uses the phrases grace and peace. Okay, well, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, we don't have the peace of shalom. The Greek word is irene. Well, in, in this context, the New Testament context, peace has expanded to an even greater extent because it is the peace that has come to us uh, through the sacrifice of Christ, the life of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives. So New Testament peace is even a bigger, broader, wider, deeper sense of well-being, prosperity, being right with God than we even have in the, the Old Testament. Well, how does Jesus use this word peace? Here's one example from John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says to his disciples, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The peace of God the Father being bestowed upon the followers of Christ by God the Son. Peace be upon you. Peace be with you. The Apostle Paul gives us many treatments of the word peace. Uh, here's one from Philippians 4, 7. He writes, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Paul pronouncing peace upon the followers of Christ. So we're learning from this simple phrase that God is the God of peace. God is sovereign over peace. Peace, ultimate peace, complete and holistic peace is held in God's hands. Now, I want you to consider, consider this. When Jesus is offering peace, consider the turmoil that was going on in the world at the time that Jesus Christ was walking the earth. And yet he says, peace. Consider the turmoil during the time of Paul the Apostle 
and the development of the early church. And yet Paul says, peace I give you. Peace that surpasses understanding. Now this should give us hope for today because consider the turmoil that we are in right now here in the United States. But in the midst of this turmoil, the message that comes to us from the God of peace is peace. My peace I give you. You are safe with me. God is the God of peace. Well, what did this God of peace do according to our benediction for today? Phrase number two. This God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. You see, God's peace, this peace that is given to us by Jesus, that surpasses all understanding, is an eternal peace. How so? Well, this peace is utterly dependent upon two divine actions that God has taken. One is that God the Son has gone to the cross, has sacrificially given his life for the forgiveness of sins. And that produces for us peace. And then there is the raising from the dead of God the Son by God the Father so that we might have eternal life. We too will experience resurrection. And that gives us peace. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead. What could be more powerful? Who could be? More powerful than God, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Well, who is the Lord Jesus? Phrase number three. The great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus says this about himself in John chapter 10, beginning with verse 11. He says this, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And we know from Psalm 23, that opening line, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, there's a cause and effect relationship Where Jesus, who is the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. Because the shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. Amazing. Now, here's where we are. What we're doing is we're working our way up to a a summit in this Uh, benediction, uh, a pinnacle, if you will, and we're almost there. 
Okay, we've worked our way up. We've seen the God of peace. We've seen the surpassing peace of God. We've seen the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead. We've seen the love of Christ as the good shepherd who lays down his life. And so we come to this summit that's expressed in phrase number four. You know, how is this happening? Well, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, how is it that Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep? Well, when I was uh, assembling this message, I got to this point in my uh, creating this message, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice if we could just read the entire book of Hebrews? Anybody up for that? <laughs> All right. Uh, I appreciate it, but I'm kidding. Okay, we're not going to do that this morning. But I do, I do encourage you to do that maybe this afternoon or later this week. Read the whole thing and you'll get the, the full panorama. But what I'm going to do today is just read a couple of excerpts from the book of Hebrews that's uh, really helping us understand who this Jesus is. Hebrews 1, the very few, first few verses says this, long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Are you you getting the sense of the, the majesty, the power, the glory of Jesus Christ? So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. It says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confessions, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He's referred to here as our great high priest. Now, I want to do a little comparison here between Aaron whom we've already met today and identified as the very first high priest, and Jesus, who is the final everlasting high priest. Aaron was the first. Jesus is the final and eternal. Aaron offered sacrificial lambs. Jesus is the eternal sacrificial lamb. Aaron spilled blood. To meet the demands of the covenant temporarily. Jesus spilled his blood 
to meet the demands of the covenant eternally. Aaron, that human high priest, Jesus, that divine high priest, eternal high priest. Therefore, you see, Jesus is the good shepherd, the caretaker, the mediator between God and man by the blood of the eternal covenant. And we're talking about his own blood, the real thing that we celebrate all the time as we gather around the Lord's table and the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. So, with the peace of God firmly established, the eternal supremacy and sacrifice of Jesus Christ firmly established, this benediction is now going to shift. We've built all the way up to the summit by the blood of the eternal covenant, and now we're going to kind of come down the backside as we think through how does this impact us personally? How does this get to us at the human level? Well, the invocation here in our benediction goes like this. Now may the God of peace, phrase five, equip you with everything good. So there's a very practical function here where we are to be equipped for everything good by this God of peace. Well, what exactly is everything good? I just want you to hold that thought for a moment. We're going to come back to that. But let's talk for a moment about how we become equipped. What is it that equips us with everything good? Well, we have the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible equips us as we invest ourselves in Holy Scripture. We have prayer through which we engage spirit to spirit with God himself as he builds himself into us, equipping us for everything good. We have the preaching and the teaching of the church That is equipping us. We have the fellowship of each other, the body of Christ, as iron sharpens iron, as we are being equipped with everything good. Okay, so we have these these general common denominators that all of us can share in as the people of God. But there are also very specific ways that we can be equipped for very specific kinds of ministries. You know, the Go Center essentially is an equipping ministry. That's what we're about. We're serving in the name of the Lord uh, to equip church leaders, church members, followers of Christ to become more and more effective at Great Commission ministry. So we have the general common denominators of equipping, and then we can have specialized equipping uh, as part of our journey with Christ. So here's another question. Why are we being equipped? Well, Phrase six tells us this, that you may do his will. 
You see, the God of peace is equipping us with everything good that we may do his will. God has a will for us and we need to be equipped with all that's needed to do that will. Recall that the Lord's Prayer includes the phrase, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, part of God's will being done is that he equips us to do his will as we serve him. Now, here are a couple of questions. What is his will? What is God's will? Well, there are many places that we could go in Scripture to find answers to that question. I'm going to select one. This comes from the book of John, chapter 6. And it's beginning with verse 35. Again, the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, what we are learning From the words of Jesus here is that God's will is for men, women, children to come to Christ in belief that they might become eternally part of his family. And that everyone who does come to Christ will, in fact, remain with Christ. That no one will be lost. No one will be forgotten. No one will be passed over. Now, what is it that's going to equip us with everything good to do this will? Well, again, we're going to be equipped by those general things, prayer, Bible, fellowship, preaching, teaching, as well as specific kinds of equipping. Uh, And what, what is the result of that? Where does that get us? Well, phrase seven, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. You see, when we do the will of God, this is pleasing in his sight. You know, when folks serve uh, in the White House, for example, one of the phrases that they use is that I serve at the pleasure of the president. You know, when you serve in a, in a royal court, you're serving at the pleasure of the king. Well, that's where we are. When we serve God, we are serving at his pleasure. We are here to do what pleases him. He is our king. He is our Lord, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And we are here to serve at his pleasure. 
Well, when his will is working in us, we're doing that which is pleasing in his sight. Well, what pleases God? Things like disciplines that are in our lives, faithfulness on our part, obedience, maturity, spiritual giftedness that we uh, identify and commit to him, training that we receive in righteousness that we might serve him all the better. Recall these verses from Second Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Sounds a lot like equipped with everything good, right? These dots are all starting to connect. Well, what's the agency through which these things can happen? Phrase number eight, through Jesus Christ. How does God work his will in us? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what equipping is all about, that we might walk in the will of God, walking according to his plan. Now, when all of these things come together, what's the result? Phrase number nine. Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, because Jesus is who he is and because Jesus does all that he does, all of the glory goes to him. When the will of God is working in our lives and we're bringing pleasure to God, we're bringing glory to Christ. That's how this all works. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is looking for as he pronounces this benediction upon the early church. So, let me pull all of this together by way of conclusion. The writer of Hebrews is pronouncing this very expansive benediction. He says this, now may the God of peace, the God of Shalom, the God of Irene. Well, who did what? Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And who is the Lord Jesus? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. How so? By the blood of the eternal covenant. What blessing is is wanted from God? Uh, May the God of peace equip you with everything good. Why? That you may do his will. Well, what would his will be doing? It would be working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through what means? Through Jesus Christ. And what do we owe Jesus in return? To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the church that is fully equipped and doing God's will is a church that is filled 
with great commission vitality. And that's what we've been talking about this weekend. Now, being equipped with everything good and doing his will is is before us as an opportunity. It's before us as a responsibility. And the question we have to ask and answer today is, are we... Are we ready to step up? Are we willing to be all in so that we can be equipped with everything good, do his will, that Jesus might be glorified? Now, that's that's what's before us as followers of Christ. But if you're someone who has yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, you've yet to... Receive forgiveness for your sins. You've yet to receive the eternal life that can be yours. Perhaps today will be the day when you do so. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, how we thank you for this word. Your word that that speaks so strongly and clearly to our hearts and minds. This word that that teaches us what we are to believe, how we are to fulfill our responsibility of being your people. And so I pray, Father, that this morning will be an investment for the cause of Christ, that as we worship together, as we pray together, as we study your word together, that we will, in fact, be built up in heart and mind through the the power of Jesus Christ. That we might go from here this day equipped to do your will and bring pleasure to our King. It's in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer. Amen.